So stand up for me. I'm going to measure your feet. Left foot in first. Great. And then step this foot right up alongside. And your other foot. Same thing. Step right up. You're fine. This foot is just slightly longer. I don't know if that makes sense to you. And then step out. And then just take a tanju to the side for me. Great. And your other foot. Cool. And relax. Just stand parallel for me. Okay. You can take a seat. Fit you without padding first to make sure we get a right fit for your feet. And sure. then we'll do whatever we need to for your comfort. So we'll start here and then I can see where we need to adjust. So the elastic is on the side of the shoe, not the top. Exactly. That's one of the first changes Eliza Gaynor-Minden, the designer of the shoe, wanted to make. Was because she was one of those dancers who, when she had the, yeah. you know, the drawstring, how it digs into the top of yeah, your foot. Yeah, because you tuck it in because, God forbid, you see a drawstring. Right. <laughs> so, inside of the foot, you can put your drawstring, and it's a much sleeker, cleaner line at the front of the shoe. Stands up for me. Just standing flat. How do your toes feel? Um, they're definitely touching. They're Pressing touching. into the box. Yeah. Okay. Are they flat in the shoes? Um, hard to tell. Hard to tell. That's a fair answer. Let's go over to the bar and just step up to point and feel. Yep. This is definitely a bigger foot. Let's take a pinch here. Can you face me? Getting fitted for point shoes is a coming-of-age experience so important that I remember mine better than my own bat mitzvah. Seven broken toes and almost a decade later, I'm no longer on point, but I still dance and see the ballet world changing. For starters, those shoes I went and got fitted for, they weren't what I grew up with. Which might not seem like a big deal, but ballet, well, ballet isn't really known for being big on change. Which is why I spoke to Eliza, co-founder of Gainer Minden. Gainer Minden is a dancewear company dedicated to helping dancers thrive. Our signature product, our main product, is the patented point shoe that I designed and developed some 25 years ago. That is the first successful modernization of the ballerina's iconic footwear. It means to completely rethink the inside of the point shoe. I believe that the outside of the point shoe cannot be changed. It has to be beautiful satin. It has to look as delicate as lingerie. The satin can and should be in different colors to complement different skin tones, but it should be a longitudinally symmetrical, no right and left, uh, beautiful satin reinforced slipper. The inside, however, is a completely different story. Traditional point shoes were made with 19th century shoemaking materials until very recently. And the problem with those 19th century materials is that they disintegrate very quickly, they're not protective, they're not comfortable, and they're noisy. So I felt it was important to completely modernize the inside of the point shoe by substituting modern materials for those 19th century materials. But, as expected, any change is met with resistance. 
especially because ballet is so very traditional and so slow to change. Uh, any, any change is going to be greeted with a certain amount of skepticism. Um, there's also the uh, idea that point shoes are, going on point is an honor that a dancer works hard to earn. Uh, it's a sort of a reward. It's membership into an elite club. So anything that offers to make that accomplishment easier by being more comfortable or by being helpful uh, in some way might be seen to be taking away from the dancer's accomplishment. So there was a certain amount of, I had to do it the hard way, so should you. It's that kind of slow to change traditionalism that I've noticed over the years. That's been my impulse for this piece. I spoke to Elizabeth Kendall, who's been writing about dance basically all of her professional life. Play is based in the training um, rituals that came into being somewhere between the late 16th century and the early 18th centuries. Um, the vocabulary was codified and given to French terms, and a way of training a body from a young age was established that we still kind of use um, with pliés, tendus, butons, the whole gamut. Um, so that's ballet. It's a kind of training. Um, a point shoe is um, something that isn't, it, it isn't a be-all and end-all of ballet. The point shoe came into being not at the beginning of time and not even at the beginning of ballet, but in the early 19th century with um, the aesthetics of French Romanticism, which had a lot of tropes running around in literature and painting everywhere about the woman as being unattainable, half-immortal, dangerous for a man, and she could fly. And the point you is a gesture towards flying. It's raising you up off the ground, like your part, part soul, part spirit, and part human. And the point you is specific to one period, which is the 1820s and 30s and 40s, when Marie Taglioni and the other heroines of romantic ballet dance on point. So the point you has a purpose. It was designed to tell those classic ballet stories, Sleeping Beauty, The Nutcracker, Giselle. All those stories, though, have something else in common. They're deeply strict gender roles. The classic ballet classics are, are they're stories about a man seeking a woman who's half mortal. Um, and they have to do with some of the way, methods of storytelling have to do with men lifting women, men partnering women, men allowing women to reach even farther into space than they would have without the man assisting um, them. Um, in Giselle, it's so clear. The man, um, when Giselle is dead and with her tribe of fierce female sisters who are ready to destroy any man around, she does a dance about her feelings for the man who's on the who's come on the scene and who's about to be condemned to death, and she tells her sisters in a ballet sequence that 
she is sad and this is not good. And then a man comes on and she repeats the same sequence, but she can go much deeper, much farther, much higher because he is partnering her. And the implication is a woman with a man can go farther than a woman alone. Um, and that kind of text hidden, but not so hidden in plain sight is sort of the structure of how you compose a ballet in the conventional manner. Live, I saw Sleeping Beauty, and it was um, the Royal Ballet came to Boston, and it was it was really amazing because um, and it stuck with me forever. Like the ballerina that was playing Aurora actually sprained her ankle in the finger pricking scene, which was super weird. Or like that's where it became obvious that she had sprained her ankle. Um, and then she like hobbled off stage, which I was like, what's, you know, like I was like 10 or something. And I was like, whoa, like this is so dramatic. She looks really hurt, like from pricking her finger. But then the Violet Fairy bore it onto the stage and started doing her role. She was like still in the Violet Fairy costume, but she was like Aurora, maybe in another cast. Anyway, I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, suddenly now the Violet Fairy has pricked her finger. And the Violet Fairy is getting sleepy, and Violet Fairy is going to sleep, and then she's being carried around and, like, put into this bed. I'm like, what is going on? Because I knew the story, um, but it was, like, this really magical sort of moment of, like, the wrong person ending up in the role, but then it was, like, this other beautiful, cool story. So I actually feel like that... Um, was like a really lucky <laughs> experience that I had um, early on of being like, oh, things might not always be what they seem. But even conventional manners are forced to change over time. I talked with a choreographer who still composes story ballets. Just, she ignores conventions. My name's Katie Powell, and... My pronouns are she, her, they, them, and I am the founder and artistic director of a a queer ballet company that's called Ballas. It was founded in 2011, and uh, my work is to try to reinvent ballet culture in relationship to queer people and to make space and to kind of question and call out the current accepted norms of ballet that are uh, uninclusive of queer people in our experience. Changing the gender expectations and changing the expectations of sexuality that are being performed, um, both within like the technique itself and also in the narrative of the story ballets that I make. And I do make story ballets, which is not necessarily a very contemporary ballet approach. It's kind of an old school um, thing to make story ballets, but I feel like that's the place where I can actually get in and, and kind of call out the, the standard heterosexual stories and characters and roles, and by changing them, it um, makes 
the discrepancy more visible. Um, I think classical ballet today looks extremely different than it looked even 20, 30 years ago, and certainly 50 years ago. The technique itself is radically different, and um, I, I see that it does keep changing. So I, I have every belief that it can and will change. Um, I think people will, will hang on to certain things that they feel frankly entrapped by because that's where they've received their power. And I think it's really hard for people to let go of places where they have received power and to let go of the privilege that they've, you know, had access to in order to make way for something else. But it, I think it's going to happen. So it's already happening. <laughs> and yeah, I'm excited about the future. Um, not just for gender, but just, you know, for like different kinds of bodies, different kinds of experience, different kinds of um, ways of thinking about what the virtue, what the virtuosity of dance is. For WNSR, I'm Adina 